continuing this. Our next speaker uh, is um, someone who is going to really, really inspire us, and uh, that is uh, Scott Lapierre. Uh, Scott is, is a pastor, and he has written some great stuff. And so I'm going to share with you Scott's uh, uh, bio. Scott Lapierre is a senior pastor, author, and conference speaker. He holds a MA in Biblical Studies from Liberty University. Scott and his wife, Katie, have been married for more than 15 years. A former school teacher and army officer, Scott currently leads a church in Washington State and supports his family on his pastor's salary, allowing Katie to stay home with their nine children. Both are passionate advocates of homeschooling. So I'm excited to have Scott to uh, join us today. He has got some good stuff, so make sure you listen in to Scott LaPierre. All right, I'm so happy to have uh, Scott, Pastor Scott LaPierre with us from Washington. Thank you so much, Scott, for joining us in our Sydney Hot Merit Show. Yeah, thanks for having me, Joe. Glad to be here. Thankful for what you're doing and just have a small part in it. Awesome. Awesome. Well, you know, you you are you're in the Lord's work. You're pastoring. Tell tell a little bit about what you what you're doing um, with your your life and ministry, Scott. Sure, sure. So my wife and I grew up in Northern California together. Uh, we moved to Washington in 2010. Uh, I was an uh, associate pastor in California. Came here for the senior pastor position. Been here almost 11 years. My wife is expecting our ninth child uh, next month. Wow, nine kids. Yeah. Yeah, do some authoring uh, on the side. Uh, most of my time is committed to preaching and teaching and an amount of uh, counseling. Um, had some ministry with marriage since publishing some materials on marriage. And uh, so glad to be able to talk to your to your, your viewers and hopefully share some of God's word with them. Well, we're, we're glad that you are available to, to share some of God's word. We need it today, don't we? Well said, brother. Well said. Yeah, yeah. So, so what... what you know, what got you into the ministry? I know, I know God, but tell, tell me about how that happened. Sure. So I wasn't raised in a Christian home. Hmm. I became Christian in my early 20s. I was an officer in the Army, and then I started teaching elementary school. I loved teaching elementary school. thought I was going to do it the rest of my life. became a Christian, and pretty quickly I found that I wanted to be telling people to open their Bibles versus telling people, you know, students to open their science books and math books. Hmm. Uh, so my passion for teaching elementary school plummeted. My passion for ministry increased, and uh, people started kind of talking to me. I was leading some home Bible studies, and, hey, do you ever think about ministry? And then God opened the door for that, and I now I don't feel like I can really do anything else. I feel like God called me to kingdom work and going to be doing that the rest of my life, Lord willing. That's what's up. Teaching, teaching God's word now. That's what's up. So, so now were you, were you married during this transition or did the marriage happen after the transition? Yeah, so my wife Katie and I, we went to high school together. I told you that neither of us were Christians and we actually reconnected after high school after we both become Christians. So that was kind of the neat thing, you know, between us, like, wow, you're a Christian. Oh, you're a Christian. We start talking. Um, Gil and I got to really kind of bound our hearts together. And so mm-hmm. we both, we, we got married soon after becoming, becoming Christians. Oh, okay. And so your teaching career, was that before you became a Christian? So I became during my um, second or third year teaching elementary school, my second year teaching elementary school, and taught a few more years of elementary school while I was uh, just serving the church in a lay position, and then God opened the door for me to go into ministry part-time, where I still kept teaching elementary school. The church grew. They hired me full-time as an associate pastor, and then I left school teaching, had to look back, and did that until coming to Washington in 2010. 
Oh, wow. So did, did your wife know she was signing to, to be a pastor's wife? She did. In fact, I had a couple of, uh, let's call them essentials or deal breakers. And she, she, she agreed, she agreed to those essentials. She had the same ones. You know, we're expecting our ninth child. And so one of the conditions that we both had was that God would give us children if he wanted to give them to us. So it's not, you know, yeah, nine kids, people are, we're about to have our ninth child next month. So people hear that and they think he must be trying to have all these children for lack of a better way to say it. But it was more like we just turned it over to God. Um, this is not a, a comment on other people doing things differently, but we just want to reach the end of our lives. We want to have the children God wanted to give us. <clears throat> Basically, we want to have the family that he wanted to build for us. Mm-hmm. You know, he could have, get, could have given us three kids. Maybe he'll give us 13. Uh, this is where we're at right now. And that was one of the other essentials, you know, so if there's any single people listening, I would say you don't want to be governed by your feelings and emotions, so make sure you have a list of objective essentials or mm-hmm. deal breakers and then some preferences. And for me, I had pastor's wife. I had homeschooling. I had letting God plan the family. And then I started talking to Katie, and she... She had the same conditions, and people told her that, yeah, people told her that she was going to, they said, you know, we can really see being a pastor's wife someday. We started talking, and it it went from there. Wow. Wow. So now, what what was Katie's background? Was she just going to plan to be a a stay-at-home mom, and uh, was she planning to do something else? Sure. So, you know, she wanted to get married. She wanted to have a family. Um, Until that happened, she she had majored in psychology. I think she's talked about a little more as a counselor. And in a sense, she definitely is a counselor as a, as a mother and as a pastor's wife. Um, she was on her way actually to serve as a counselor at a Christian camp before I kind of intercepted. And then she contacted the camp and said, hey, plans changed. You know, I met this guy and uh, we've been together since then. So I think, I think her heart was to be, you know, life and faith. Yeah, yeah. Until that happened, until that happened, she was going to be having to do some other stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, so you, you guys really, I mean, nine kids. Uh, having these convictions, to, I mean, stay at home, mom, homeschooling, right? I mean, you got to be equipped and prepared for that. I mean, you you got a, a church to pastor. I mean, how do you? I mean, how do you manage all that? And I get asked this a lot, you know. And I'll tell you this: you need to figure out the difference between um, good and best. Does that make mm-hmm. sense? Mm-hmm. Most of the Christian life, especially if you're busy. Mm-hmm. especially throughout the Lord's work, it's not saying no to bad things. I mean, we definitely need to say no to bad things, but you need to know what's good that you need to say no to. And I heard someone say one time, I thought, I thought it was really good. He said that the enemy of best is often good, mm-hmm. not And mm-hmm. so it's being able to look at what's before you and figuring out what God wants you to do. And I didn't, I didn't learn that for a little while, and I got pretty stressed out. I started having panic attacks. I was trying to do everything before I figured out that there would be things that I would, I would say no to. Yeah, man, I've, I've had the same experience. I, I, I was putting too much on my plate. I remember starting having panic attacks, and I was like, whoa, what's going on with the counselor? You know, um, and the, the pastor counselor, right? So uh, we're all human, and, 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 and we, we can find ourselves in that, that position if, we're, if our mind is not, is not right. So when you say good versus best, is that what you said, good? How'd you put it? Yeah, the enemy of best is not usually bad or evil. Mm. The enemy of best is good. And mm-hmm. so there are, many, there are many things that to do God's best or walk in God's best or his will for your life, yeah, we have to say no to sin. Yes, we have to say no to that. Obviously, we need to resist temptation. But often to do the best or God's best means saying no to what's good. Because mm-hmm. especially, you know, you pastored, I, I can't remember how many years you said you pastored, 10 or 15 years. Yeah, yeah, 10 years, man. Now, yeah, now you're involved. You've been doing kingdom work, serving the Lord you know, full-time for, for a lot a lot of years, and you know that there are always more things presented to you than you yes. can do. 
Right. And so we need to learn to be able to say no to things. And if you've got a lot of kids, I mean, there's a lot of, there's emails. I'll get, I will get emails from people. Um, I bet you get these messages too. People's lives, I don't want to say they're falling apart, but they're married, they're struggling in their marriage. I had to learn that the, so I had to learn the best thing I can say to people is you need to go to your local church. And then I usually find out they're not plugged into a local church. And I say, well, then the best thing I can do for you is not counsel you long distance or get on the phone with you. I know that that's what you want. You know, maybe you read my marriage book or saw some of my videos and say, you want to talk. As much as I would probably like talking to you and trying to help you, the best thing would be for you to be plugged into a local church, submitted to elders, submitted to their authority, and letting them shepherd you mm. or look for or look for counseling from some, you know, um, some. And it's not to say that a church can't, I don't want to say contract out or send people out. But you want to be under homer to know what's best for you that can that can point you in the right direction. Really so looking out for you. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Having some authority in your life. I yeah. find that's what's, what's missing in a lot of a lot of people's lives is authority. They they feel like they can be their own authority, their own accountability. Not sure how that works, but um, um, it's a beautiful thing when people recognize that we need each other. And, um, and that you're, you're directing them to where they can really get help. That's, that's awesome. So, so no more, no more panic attacks? Um, no, things are better. I mean, I'm still, you know, pretty busy, but I've been able to stay healthy, you know, and, and get enough sleep at night and not be waking up throughout the night, you know, and even regarding authority, I don't, I, I guess I say senior pastor just because people understand what that means, but I'm under elders too. You know, I'm under authority too. I, this is not a one man show. You know, I'm not a loose cannon. I rarely do anything of significance mm-hmm. that doesn't have the approval of my elders. If mm-hmm. I went to the elders and I thought, I'm thinking about this, I'm submitted to them, and we're submitted to each other as a morality mm-hmm. elder just as much as the people in the church mm-hmm. are submitted to us. Mm-hmm. Now, how, how does that work with your wife? Um, I mean, she, I imagine she, she sets you in a position of, of, of head of the home, and she's submissive to you. Um um, but, um, uh, do you, I mean, do you submit to her as well? How does, you know, you know, the Bible says submit you want to another. Tell, tell us how that authority and, and, uh, works in your, in your house with your nine yeah. kids. How many years have you been married now? We are coming up, uh, we just passed 15 years. Wow. 15 years. 15 years. Almost awesome. Awesome. So how does that work? Good. Yeah. So there's definitely, uh, we have a complementary view of marriage. I don't know if that, if that. Complementary. Uh, I'm not sure if I've heard of that one before. Okay, let, let me just briefly explain that. I think it's really important, especially as our as the world um, drifts further away from God's Word, and even as some churches drift further away from God's Word. This might be an oversimplification, but there's basically, let's say, two views of men's and women's roles and responsibilities and relationships to each other. Uh, complementarian is not complement like C-O-M-P-L-I. It's complement like C-O-M-P-L-E, like fits together. And so a complementarian view means that God has made men and women, husbands and wives, different and distinct with unique roles and responsibilities that while they are equal, they're not identical in terms of their in terms of their roles and responsibilities. An egalitarian view says that men and women are essentially interchangeable regarding their roles and responsibilities. So this would be churches where you might see, you know, female pastors. They would not believe. Uh, you just mentioned earlier the primary command given to wives: submit your husbands. The primary command to husbands: love your wives as Christ loves the church. And so an egalitarian would deny those roles and responsibilities, whereas complementarians would recognize them and recognize that they're beneficial, helpful mm-hmm. for marriage and the church. And so in our church, we recognize that God has called men to lead and that there are wonderful ways for women to serve, minister, teach other women, teach children, but we see a, we see a clear distinction between men and women. Now in the home, um, because God said, you know, he creates everything six days, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good, and then on the sixth day, he says the first thing that's not good, he looks at man and he says it's not good that man should be alone. Mm-hmm. And 
That's a pretty unique statement from God, considering the fall had not taken place yet. We generally think that everything was good until after the fall, but there was actually something that was not good prior to the fall, and that was man being alone. God said, I'll make him a helper. Um, mm-hmm. some, women, some women kind of, what would be the word, they might chafe a little bit at the idea of being called a helper. But interestingly, when God calls a woman a helper, it's actually, I want to say a criticism, but it's an acknowledgement of man's inadequacy. Mm-hmm. When God says, I will make him a helper, it's God looking at man and recognizing that he's inadequate or insufficient without a wife. And so mm-hmm. if anything, a wife is provided as that help that a man needs. It's almost like God looked down at us, Joe, and said, Joe and Scott are not going to make it. These mm-hmm. guys need some help, you know. I will give him, I'll give him a wife, and that's what my wife yeah. has So To get back to your question, one of the great ways that wives help their husbands, or one of the great ways that my wife has helped me, is she provides me with counsel, thoughts, advice. Um, every sermon I go over with my wife, you know, during the week, I take mm-hmm. her thoughts very, um, very seriously. There's many times I've been preaching. If you were to talk to my church, they all know that I go over the sermon every week with Katie mm-hmm. because they, they heard me say so many times when I was going over the sermon with Katie. I value her thoughts. Rare is the major decision that I would make if my wife um, felt strongly opposed to it. I mean, I haven't even thought that much. So kind of, you know, submission or headship comes into view not so that a husband doesn't listen to his wife, but so that after a husband has listened to his wife, heard all of her thoughts, considered everything she has to say, but they can't reach an agreement so that, because basically if a husband and wife has talked things out, you know, for let's say a husband has heard all of his wife's thoughts, considered everything she has to say, but they can't come to an agreement. I mean, what are they going to do, paper, rock, scissors? Or <laughs> you know? so, God, so God's plan so that the relationship can go forward is that the husband is going to be the decision maker. And that's a huge responsibility that rests on a husband's shoulders. But any husband that would, like, not listen to his wife mm-hmm. or would discount her thoughts because he might say, well, I'm the head of the relationship, she's supposed to submit to me, he's really silencing the one of the greatest voices that God has given him. He's really mm-hmm. silencing one of the best resources that he has in his life, mm-hmm. which, is, which is his wife. And so um, in our home, you know, I try to, I don't want to say exalt, but I suppose, you know, I, I, I exalt Katie to my children. I'm like, look, she is, she, she's the queen of this household, you know, and what she says, if she talks to you, you obey her. And she has authority over all of you. And, uh, you know, I, I want my children to have the highest view of their mother that they possibly can. Few things are going to be punished as severely as disrespecting or dishonoring, you know, their mother. And in the church, I, I think most men that have a complimentary view have a super high regard for their wives because a husband is supposed to love his wife and treat her the way that Christ treated the church. You know, mm-hmm. so what, think of what Christ did for the church. And as a husband, I'm called, called to that same standard with my wife. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not like you guys have a great relationship here and Katie, Scott, and uh, really flow together and work together. She doesn't feel like you're dominate her, and, and you don't feel like she's dominating you. Um, you guys actually um, are working together. That's that is phenomenal. So, so many, you know, so many couples. I mean, you talk about talking to your wife, sharing your service with her. I mean, <clears throat> how many men would be like, <laughs> I can share everything with my wife like that? You know, I think I think a lot of relationships. Uh, couples don't have that type of, uh, trust, you know, to be able to, to, to share these kind of things without being rebuffed or rebuked or, or shamed. Um, you know, so it, it, there's gotta be some, something underneath the hood, man, that, that, that's, that's essential and helpful to, to, to create that type of environment. What, what you got? What you got to say to folks uh, who really are struggling? Like, I, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know, Pastor Scott. Uh, if I can share everything with my wife, it's just or my husband, it's just not safe. Well, what you got, fellas, folks? 
Sure. So that, that's a good. I want to say something real quick. You know, I come on and I do this show, or I put on a marriage conference, or or preach a sermon. Uh, you know, and I talk about my wife. I believe I talk highly ever, and it's it's uh, legitimate. It's deserved. I think she's fantastic. But you could look and you could think, like you just said, oh, you got to have this great marriage, or you don't have problems. Uh, there are times when I would be ashamed if someone was a, was in our house listening <laughs> to the school at the time. You know, if someone was like a fly on the wall. There are times I have been embarrassed by my behavior, my mistreatment of my wife. There are plenty of times that I have to go back to Katie and say, I am so sorry. Please forgive me. I should not have treated you that way. Uh, there's times Katie has said I should not have disrespected you that way. So, so nobody should look in on this and think that we're anything but two sinners that are selfish, that have the same struggles and issues as everything else. When people are married for a really long time, they're not married because they had a perfect marriage. They're married because they're committed to each other. Everyone's had, had plenty of conflict and Katie and I are, are the same. Mm-hmm. Um, second, when you kind of talked about, um, you know, uh, our relationship or Katie's view of me, I'll share, I'll share something that surprised me. I started putting on marriage conferences, preaching on marriage after God kind of opened that door uh, for ministry for me. And one of the things that really surprised me, because submission is criticized so frequently, not just by the world, but even in some Christian churches, you would think that women would be, you know, lined up at my door to come and, and vent about how angry they are that the Bible says that they're supposed to submit to their husband, or they would be lined up at the door saying, you know, my husband expects me to submit to him, and this is so barbaric, I can't handle it. But, Joe, I'll tell you, the most common criticism that I hear from women is not that my husband uh, wants to be the head of the relationship or my husband wants me to submit. The most common criticism is my husband will not leave. I wish my husband would be a spiritual leader. Because godly women who have been regenerated, brought to life spiritually, what do they covet or crave more than anything else? They want a deep relationship with Christ, which means they want a husband that will lead them toward Christ. They want a husband that will pray with them. They want a husband that will read the word with them. If, they're, if they have children, they want a husband that will, uh, or a father that will bring the family around the word of God. Mm-hmm. And so I, don't, I don't see a whole lot of women coming and being upset about submission. I, and I'm sure there are. And, I, and, you know, to be candid, I know there are some men who could be, like you said, domineering, authoritarian, obviously abusive not just physically, but emotionally or mentally. And so those are very legitimate criticisms a woman could have. But the bigger criticism is, I wish my husband would leave. Mm-hmm. I hear women that say, I wish my husband would go to church. I wish my husband would, would go to marriage conference. I wish my husband would watch this hot, sizzling marriage summit with me. I wish my husband is, but I don't hear husbands saying that. I don't hear husbands mm-hmm. saying, I wish my wife would go to church. I wish my, hus- my husband, my, you know, I wish my um, wife would do these things because most women are spiritually minded mm-hmm. and they want these things. Mm-hmm. So one of the things you mentioned that I do think is important, you talked about kind of sharing and being vulnerable and transparent. Mm-hmm. And if I, could, I can talk to the wives for a moment. Many, and I was surprised by this, I guess because we kind of project ourselves on others. I, because of the way God has, has built me, I have plenty of weaknesses, but I'm generally more comfortable, um, you know, being up front, praying, preaching, things like that. I, I have to grow into it a little bit, but because I'm comfortable with that, I sort of assume other men are comfortable with that too. But I've noticed many men have come and told me, you know, I'm terrified to pray in front of my wife. I'm terrified to read the word of my family. What if I don't know what to say? What if I can't answer the question correctly? What if I, what if I mispronounce this verse? And so I think wives need to understand, and this is not an exaggeration, the fear or even terror some men experience associated with being vulnerable with their wives and families um, regarding praying, regarding reading the word. And so I would tell the wives, you know, if your husband prays with you, if you read, read the Bible with you, you need to hold his hand, you need to look him in the eyes, and you need to thank him for being a godly man. I don't care if he fumbles every single word. I don't care if he, he you know, messes up some of the verses that he's reading. You need to recognize that you're in a very small 
percentile of women who actually have a husband who will do these spiritual things with you, and you need to be thankful for that. Because I had a, I was counseling, I know you do a lot of marriage counseling too, and I was counseling this one gentleman, uh, actually a couple, and she really wanted a husband who would be a spiritual leader. And I told, I told him, I said, hey brother, your, your wife really wants you to read the Bible with her. You, you know, you really should do that. I think it'll really bless her, and I think it will go toward healing your marriage. So he came back to me a few weeks later, and he said, well, I've been reading the Bible with my wife, and he, I could, I could read his face. I could tell that he wasn't happy. And I said, okay, well, what's, what's going on? How's that going? He said, I'm never going to do it again. And I said, well, why not? And he said, she second guesses everything I say. She criticizes everything. She questions everything. She's constantly saying, I don't know if that's right. I don't know if that's the correct interpretation. You know, maybe you should say that maybe you should go ask the pastor about that. And so if that's what a husband is going to have to experience every single time, you know, he opens the Bible with his wife, he's not going to open the Bible with her. So if you want a husband that's vulnerable and open, you need to be a supportive, encouraging wife. You need to make a lot more deposits than withdrawals. And so just something the other day with, uh, with Katie, you know, I don't, Katie's not perfect. I don't want to lift her up as though she's this perfect wife. But I will say this about her. She does her very best to not ever make me feel foolish or silly or stupid. And so when I, I share things with her, and I can be very vulnerable with her because I know that she's never going to turn things around and make me feel silly or stupid mm-hmm. about the way that I might want anything. And so what does that do? That allows me to feel very comfortable, like I can open myself up to her, and I don't have to um, worry about her ridiculing me or mocking me or anything. Where, you know, where do you get this sort of peace, this rest, you know, it's, um, um, you know, we, we talk about how a lot of the conflict we have in our relationship is, is really wanting our spouse to be different. Like you said, a wife wanting her husband to be a leader. Um, a husband wanting his wife to be a better listener, you know, or encourager. Uh, those are just a couple of examples you just kind of chatted about. But, but you know, where do you get this? Get this the ability to to be still and 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 not have to, you know, work on your spouse like that. Um, you know, to to be confident and and comfortable and relaxed. Um, and, and, you know, where does that come from? How, how do you, how do you teach your, your, your folks to, to get that? Mm-hmm. You know, that's a, that's a good question, Joe, and I'll, I'll answer it by kind of sharing an embarrassing thing about my earlier counseling, uh, and you as a counselor might appreciate this. I used to, this is, it might be an oversimplification, but this is what my counseling, marriage counseling used to look like. You know, a husband and wife come in, they want to look at each other, they're furious, and I kind of look at the light. And I say, hey, what's, what are you upset about? What's your husband doing wrong? And then she goes through her list of things. I look at the husband and I say, okay, you heard what your wife said. So you need to stop doing that. And then I look at the husband and I'm like, okay, what, what are you upset about? He tells me all these bad things about his wife. And then I look at the wife and I say, okay, you need to stop doing those things. And you can probably see the problem with that. It's that people don't change um, very quickly or sometimes they don't change at all. And so what I would recommend is sometimes just praying that God gives you the grace to be able to deal with those weaknesses that bother you so much. Because I have found that it's much more likely that God is going to help you become the person that he wants you to be, and he's going to help you um, accept and have the grace for those weaknesses. That's much more likely than him actually changing your spouse into the person that you want him or her to be. So the sooner that you can accept that this is who you married, and this is who you're going to spend your life with, so make it the best that it can be, then I think the happier or better Okay, like here's here's something with uh, with Katie. As, as wonderful as she is, I think I've said a lot of nice things about her. She'll tell you that she's never been very organized. I, on the other hand, I'm a super organized person. We have premarital counseling, and 
I think like most people, we kind of thought that we were going to get married, and we're going to be the first couple in, in history that doesn't have any marriage problems. Um, and they talked about a lot of things, and we had all this compatibility in our relationship, but nobody talked about kind of organization or cleanliness. Mm-hmm. And as the, keeper, as the keeper of our home, that's the home I go home to. You know, Katie works very hard. It's easy to be gracious to her, but she's never been. She didn't learn to be a homemaker. She wasn't raised in a conservative Christian home with her mother. Her mother worked full-time. And so I have two choices. I can go home and I can be upset about our home not looking the way that I want all the time, or I can just thank my, appreciate all the other great things about my wife and how hard she's working, you know, and all that she sacrifices for us and look for all the wonderful things about her because there are so many, or I can choose to be discouraged and miserable about a few, a few little things. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing I would say is that our marriage is a reflection of our relationship with Christ. And I don't think many people think of that. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is I treat my wife the way that I do because of my relationship with Christ. My wife treats me the way she does because of her relationship with Christ. And that's not, I'm not praising myself. Here's what I mean. When I mistreat Katie, I'm not necessarily mistreating Katie because she's being a bad wife. I'm mistreating Katie because my relationship with Christ, I don't, I apparently in that moment, you know, don't have the heart for Christ to move me to be Katie in the way that I should. So I say it like this. A husband should love his wife, not because she's so lovable or perfect. A husband should love his wife because he loves Christ. Mm. If I'm upset with Katie, what is the motivation for me to treat her the way that she should be treated? Because at that moment, she may, if I'm upset with her, she probably did something wrong. I can't draw on my relationship with her. I have to draw on my relationship with Christ. Now, why does, why does Katie or why does any wife submit to her husband? Does she submit to her husband because she's confident he's always going to make the right decision? The fact is, if she thought he was making the right decision, she wouldn't have to submit to him. Submission is largely in place for when a wife doesn't agree. Come on, Submission, submission is in place for when a wife thinks her husband is making the wrong decision. Right. So why does the wife submit to her husband? She submits to him because she wants to submit to Christ. Mm. And so when you talk about where this peace or this rest comes from, it actually comes from our relationship with the Lord. And mm. I mean, that's not my opinion. First Peter 3, I'll use an example. Mm-hmm. First, First Peter 3 talks about a wife submitting to her husband, and it starts talking about Sarah, and it says that the holy women who trusted the Lord. Why did women, holy women or, or women of the Old Testament, submit to their husbands? Because their husbands are so great or perfect, mm-hmm. they submitted to their husbands because they trusted the Lord. Mm-hmm. And so a wife's submission to her husband is a reflection, not necessarily of her relationship with her husband, but it's a reflection of her relationship with the Lord himself. Because a woman who's spiritually strong, filled with faith, she can submit to her husband because she recognizes that God is sovereign, that he's in control, and he's going to bring about the situation that is best through her submission. But it kind of some people have this view that submission is for weak, wimpy doormats. I mean, it's the complete opposite. Weak women, spiritually weak women can't submit. They're not strong mm-hmm. enough spiritually mm-hmm. speaking. Mm-hmm. Mission is for faith-filled, strong, godly women. And so it takes an amount of spiritual strength for a wife to be able to submit to her husband. Mm-hmm. Wow. Just, like it takes, just like it takes an amount of spiritual strength for a husband to love his wife yeah. when his wife is not being lovable. Mm-hmm. Well, I can tell you have uh, been writing and preaching and talking about this stuff. You got you 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 have a lot of of knowledge and, and experience that you're sharing. Um, you got a recent book. I mean, how many books have you written, Scott? I think I've written seven or eight. Um, oh, they were <laughs> they mostly come from my sermons, you know, on labor and God's work. Right. Every, every week you got to put out a a, a, a full uh, dissertation every week, right? Yeah, I'm not I'm not I don't have the time to put together books that are separate from my ministry. They've got to yeah. build some. They've got to be a byproduct of my ministry. Okay, okay. Awesome. So what's your, what's your latest byproduct? 
Yeah, so coming out next month, uh, this is August. I don't know when people are being back. Eight people watch this. this uh, September 